morning, Gateway family. How are you guys this morning? Good. It's good to be here. Like Terry said, my name is Jesse, and I've been in Taiwan, which is a little island off the east coast of China. A lot of people, including my own parents at times, have confused it with Thailand. I even had a friend that gave me a book all about Thailand. I was like, actually, should I tell you? Yeah. Um, Hey, let's start out by getting into God's Word together. If you have your Bibles... Please turn with me to Psalm 139. This is one of my favorite psalms. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. You can just listen. Um, I, I specifically did not do any PowerPoint today. Um, and yeah, I think, that was, I think that was inspired by God. So um, let's just get into the actual Bible together. Um, so Psalm 139, I'll read and read along or listen along. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If, my, if I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn or if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created me in my uh, inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you breathed breath into each one of our lungs this morning, God. And like the worship leader said, you called us here this morning. Um, God, I, I just ask like we were worshiping and singing to you that your Holy Spirit will come and be present. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We ask you to minister to our hearts today, to soften our hearts to your word and your truth. God, I pray that not just, I say we, because me and all of us in here, um, that we'll just be attentive to what it is that you want to say to us this morning, God, and respond to that. Amen. So Pastor Joel asked me to speak today, and and I said no. Um, And then uh, he said, we'll just tell some stories. So I was like, okay. I'll tell some stories. That's easy. Uh, so today's not a sermon. Today is about storytelling. 
and how to tell stories, true stories. I know we can get a little confused there, and, and you know, it's, this is not just a story like a fairy tale. It's a true story. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about some stories as, uh, specifically related to my time in Taiwan. Um, I was in Taiwan uh, as an intern actually five years ago. It was five years ago last month that I stood up here and said, hey, I'm leaving tomorrow for Taiwan. <laughs> And it was, it's been a crazy journey since then, and I'm going to tell you a little about some of that uh, journey today through some stories. But the first thing I need to do is tell you about three things that make a good story. The first thing is context. We, uh, you all know this. When someone's telling you a story, if you don't have the context for what it is they're talking about, you got about a five-second span of attention before you've lost all interest, right? Like, for me, if somebody starts talking to me about mechanical engineering, I don't even know if I'll make it five seconds. Like, I have no idea what that's about. So context is super important, right? So uh, when I was in Taiwan, I, I oversaw our interns and our short-term teams that would come. Uh, to our site. So Envision is about training up and raising up the next generation of, of leaders in the church, including missionaries, but not only missionaries. And part of my job in Taiwan was to oversee our interns. So I had an intern named Rachel come, and uh, when interns leave, we do a debrief with them. And she actually offered this as a, as a great idea. She said, when, we, when you go back, she, had, she used to live in Africa uh, as a, um, an MK. She said, when you go back, people have no context for this. They don't understand it at all because most people have never been overseas before, let alone lived overseas. So the context is really hard. I like trying to explain to somebody how mechanical engineering works. So she said there's three ways to do it. You, you've got to prepare a 30-second story because most people, if they really care, they'll listen for 30 seconds. So have your 30-second story and then have your three-minute story because there's the people that care a little more about you that'll push themselves to three minutes and then have your 30-minute story that you, you invite somebody to coffee and then they're stuck with you and so they have to listen to you for those 30 minutes. So I thought this was a really good idea, really important. Um, but I still understand that even within the, and, and sorry, but I've got you for 30 minutes now, um, but I am going to give you context. So I think the best way to explain this, because I've been thinking a lot about it, is um, to think about like if you were moving. How many of you, by a show of hands, have moved from one house to another in your life? Okay, good. So most people can relate to me on this, right? Okay, so when you move, you know when you're leaving that place that has been home, and maybe there were good memories there, maybe there were bad memories there, there were memories there, right? And, and, and things were where they were supposed to be, and the grocery store was where it was supposed to be, and you knew where, the, you knew where everything was, you felt very comfortable, right? Then you move to this new house, and it's like everything's upside down. And sometimes you just want to sit in the middle of the floor and cry because you just want the cups to be in the cupboard that they were in that made sense, right? So much doesn't make sense because the context is totally different now. This is the same thing I go through when I try to explain to people what it feels like to come back to America, home, from Taiwan, which really has become home for me in a lot of ways. Both have good memories and bad memories, but it's like moving to a new house. Things are not where they're supposed to be. I go to the store now, and if I have, I, first of all, I have to put my card in, I can't swipe it anymore, and, and it, it gets mad at me if I don't take it out fast enough. That's all new to me. And I'm like, what? This is, I don't deal with this in Taiwan. So that is hard for me. It's an adapting that I have to do now that I'm back. So hopefully now, I've given you a little bit of context so you can roll with me a little bit on what it feels like for everything to be so different. Because a lot of people, and, and well-meaning, they'll come to me 
and say, aren't you happy to be home? Didn't you miss it here? And on, if I was going to give you my honest response, it would be no. Because you know the adage, home is where the heart is? My heart's in Taiwan. My community's in Taiwan. My job's in Taiwan. The store is where it's supposed to be at in Taiwan. Even, I never thought I'd say this, but Chinese is in Taiwan. I've had to learn Chinese. I can't tell you how often I go to the store now, or even in conversation, the first thing that wants to come out is Chinese. And I have to stop, and then I think, well, maybe I should speak English slowly. And I'm telling you, the person at Target is looking at me like there's three more people. Why are you staring at me? And, ugh, yeah, so it's, it's been interesting. I've been back for six weeks. Um, the second thing about telling stories is you got to cut the fat. If the details are trivial or hard for you to remember, your audience is going to feel the same. So I'm going to do my best to try to cut the fat today, uh, not tell too many details. The third thing is you should try to be a little funny when you tell stories, right? Because there's going to be the people that aren't paying attention to you, except when you say something funny. So at least you can have everybody's attention when you say the funny things. So try to be a little bit funny when you tell stories, okay? So context is important, and uh, cutting the fat is important. Just tell the main story, and being a little bit funny. Good, yes, you all know how to tell perfect stories now. Okay, perfect. All right, so I'm going to tell you a few stories about my time in Taiwan. The first one is going to be about humility. That's the theme of this story. So like any of you who have started a new job, you know how humbling that can be. So when I got back to Taiwan after having been there for a year as an intern, uh, I got back in the summer of 2015, and I was all of a sudden responsible for 10 long-term interns, meaning those people were coming fresh off the boat just like me, and they were staying for six months or more, and I was responsible for these people. Everything from this is where you're going to live to this is where you're going to practice Chinese to this is where you're going to cry on my shoulder. All of these things I'm responsible for, for these people, right? In particular, I'm responsible for a married couple. Now, I'm not married. My beautiful cousin is here with me today, so that can solve any questions you might have had about the pretty lady sitting next to me. That's my cousin. Um, amazing supporter and friend and love her a lot. When I was little, I thought that you were supposed to get married to cousins. Little, little, like five. And she was it for me, okay? But anyways, I'm not married. I'm not married. See, a little bit funny. That's important. Uh, I'm not married. Um, but I had this married couple that I was responsible for. Now, I'm going to be 33 next month. And is today, is it October yet? No, I'm going to be 33 in the beginning of November. And um, that was a little bit of fat, cut the fat. So I, I'm responsible for these married, this married couple. And I'm like, ah, I'm a single. Even though they're younger than me, I feel like they have more authority over me because they're married. And, and then to add to the mix, this was the why couple. Like, it didn't matter what I said, they asked why. They loved the word why. It was always why. Whatever I said, well, why? Why do we do that? Well, why do we do that? And I, well, I tell you, if you've been in a new job and you have to supervise people, that can be a very draining word after a while. And they were starting to drain me a little bit. Um, and unfortunately, I would love to say that I was a great leader and I just rolled with it and I was patient with the why. No. I, I really got sick of the why, to the extent where I did what I could to have as little interaction with them as possible that I didn't have to have, you know? And again, I'm responsible for them, so you can see how that's a little bit of a conflict of interest. I'm supposed to be responsible for them, but I'm really trying hard. And honestly, you guys, like I, when I had to do, I do regular one-on-ones once a month with every long-term intern, sit down with them over coffee and a meal just to see how they're doing. And I, I did not look forward to this time 
time with them. Like I actually was anxious about it because I, I just was so tired of the why. And I just, and really what was the problem that I was facing was not the why, it was my pride right? Like I did not want to deal with them asking me as a leader why all the time. And so I had an issue of pride. And uh, it was tough. It was, I mean, I, again, I'd love to say that I got over it. I went their full two, they were two year one, they were two year people too. And so um, I went the whole two years, you guys, doing this with them. And it got worse and worse and worse. And finally, God broke me and I realized, and here's how he broke me. I'd love to say that I was submissive to the, to the breaking. He said, no, they're coming back. Like they did the two years, they're gonna come back for more. And I'm like, okay, white flag, I can't do this anymore. Like if they're coming back, I can't hold this up. I need to, I gotta, I gotta submit to this. Like I gotta get to know what it means to, to work with these people and, and more than that, to love these people. And God really broke me there. And, and a cool story to follow up with that or to continue, fi- kind of finish the story, um, they came back and, and I apologized to them and was honest with them, uh, as humbling as that was, um, about how I just really struggled sometimes with the why. And, uh, and the cool thing was, out of humility is born a lot of really great things. One of the great things that came out of that was that we were able to understand each other better, and this summer we were actually really able to unify. So um, if you don't know, the, the Envision program has these sites all over the world, and their missions training sites. Our missions training site was focused on business as mission. So we have this little coffee shop in a church, and our leader left for the summer for his three-month furlough, and we're all stuck with this coffee shop that's struggling. And a lot of our staff was leaving, and it was just tough. And so um, I had the summer season is when all my short-term teams come. We had seven short-term teams, totaling about 80 people that come from May to the end of August, over, week after week after week. So I'm responsible for all those people. Um, and, and then this couple was all of a sudden asked to jump into the role of managing our coffee shop. And we really had to work side by side. Um, and it was really cool because it wasn't a strain. It wasn't a burden because I, I had humbled myself and we had come back to a place of unity. So um, this, to me, This is such a cool takeaway from my time in Taiwan, not only because for me personally, it it helped me understand what humility is, um, but really because I, I wanna come and share with you guys the reality of what it means to be a missionary. A lot of times, I remember when I was a kid and I sat out there and listened to the missionaries and I felt this like difference, like, oh wow, you're so up on a pedestal. I get I'm, I'm literally elevated higher than you right now, but I'm not, any better than any of you, you know? Like, I go through my own stuff, and, and this was one of, one of my stuffs, and I had to deal with this, and God's still dealing with me. I'm not super, like, win the prize for humility, but, um, but I, I'm learning humility, and, uh, and it was really cool to see the unity that we were able to have, me and this couple, um, after years of me really just holding on to my pride and saying no to, to humbling myself and having unity with them. So that was really cool. So, Humility, that's my first story. Second story is about intimacy. I don't know how often the word intimacy is used in church, especially by the person speaking. So um, don't worry. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to explain what I mean by intimacy. Um, first of all, I just want to say this. Intimacy is a real part of our God-breathed DNA. It's something that God put into us, right? That is who he created us to be. He created us from love, for love, to love, Right? Really, I mean, if we look at scripture and understand who we are and how God created us and why and what he's done over the course of our history, it's love. 
and, and, and love is a, intimacy is a part of love. Love is a part of intimacy. And there's four different types of intimate relationships that we have. Just again, so nobody's like, what's he going to talk about? We've got intimate relationships with our family, right? That's an intimate relationship. Intimacy isn't just a sexual word. It's about being close, right? So we have this famil- familial intimacy with our brothers and sisters and parents and aunts and uncles and cousins. And uh, we've got friends, right? So we've got our friend relationships. And I don't know about you guys, but I have got some friends that are close than my brothers. Like they are, I have such an awesome, intimate relationship with them. Then there's our relationship with, if you're married, your spouse. And then finally, our intimate relationship with God. God made the path to intimacy very clear, right? I mean, it doesn't, it, we don't have to look far in scripture to see what God meant when he said, this is what intimate relationships should look like. And I just, I, I want to go to um, where, well, I'll just reference, Jesus reiterated it, right? What's the greatest commandment? To love God and to love people. Both of those are talking about intimacy, right? If we all did this, if we all really loved God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we really loved our neighbor as ourself, the way that love is defined in Scripture, not the way that the world's defining it, would we, would we need anything else? We'd be pretty content, right, in, that, in those intimate, loving relationships. Because we'd all be doing it, right? If we're all giving 100%, if I'm loving you 100%, you're loving me 100%, there's no, there's no differentiation there, right? Like, it's 100%, 100%. How does it get any better? And, and, but we don't do that. I don't do that. I don't know about you guys, but I'm willing to say that I don't do that. I really stink at that. And, and I, I, I think this is a big problem that we're facing right now as a church. Not this church in general, the church as a whole. Um, and, you know, I've learned that when we don't love each other selflessly, we let fear and doubt and selfishness leads to selfishness, or leads to selfishness rather. Um, but it's, it's disunifying and it's poison to the missionary. I mean, I just told you a story. Think if I wouldn't have gone back and, and found reconciliation with that couple. I mean, I, we this summer would have been horrible. This summer was hard, but it was nothing compared to what it could have been had I let selfishness reign in that relationship and, and pride reign in that relationship. It is poison, not just to the missionary either, um, to all of us. So how can we, and we have to stay healthy. I want to be careful to say this too. I think sometimes I know for me personally, I, I fall to extremes. Like, I'm, I'm not selfish at all. Like, I will let everyone walk all over me. No, that's not what I'm saying. Like, obviously, we need to be healthy and care for ourselves. So how can we be healthy and focus on others as we're commanded to do? My, my argument is this. We've got to find the root of the problem. For me, selfishness is rooted in fear. Or as my generation and those younger than me, I don't know if Generation Z uses this anymore, FOMO. Anybody know what FOMO means? The fear of missing out. It's an acronym. The fear of missing out. Think about it. Really, I was driving in my car the other day and I was like, where is selfishness? What is that rooted in? It's rooted in fear. And usually it's the fear of missing out on something, right? Like I'm selfish because I'm afraid. Just go back to the basics. Think about when you were a little kid and either you were over at your friend's house or it was your brothers and sisters and your mom brought out like the cookies or the, we'll just go with cookies, okay? Who gets the biggest cookie, right? Why do I get the biggest cookie? 
because I'm afraid I'm going to miss out if I don't get the biggest cookie. Or sometimes, by some strange, I don't know why, I've got the biggest cookie, but theirs still looks better. So I've still got this issue with this fear of missing out on something, right? And I, I need, I've got to have that cookie too. It's because we're afraid that we're going to miss out. Why are we afraid that we're going to miss out? Because we're not loving each other well. We are not loving each other selflessly. If we did, we'd have plenty of cookies for everybody, right? I'm not a socialist, I promise. But we do need to love each other better, right? And maybe the cookie issue wouldn't be such an issue. We're missing the first part of the command that God gives us. God says, you need to love me first and then love other people. I'm going to throw this out there today because I think this is true. None of us are going to be able to love each other well if we're not loving God and receiving love from him because that's where it originates. I cannot love my neighbor well and on my own, right? And unfortunately, we're seeing this unfold right now on a national level, and it's sad, but it's because we're not going to a good ultimate authority to get the love that we need and to learn what it means to love selflessly. And so I want to I wanna offer that up as a challenge to myself and to all of us. Our, int- our intimacy has to be with God first, And then, out of that fearless place, knowing that we're fully loved by God, then we can have healthy intimacy with other people. And we can have healthy unity. Um, It's crazy tempting to grab hold of that wheel and steer my life the way that I think it looks best, right? But that's not new. Remember, we've been making power grabs since the garden, right? We want the power. I want to decide what's best for me. I'm worried that I'm going to miss out on something. So I selfishly decide this is better that I take control, that I, I manipulate, that I do whatever. This hits home for me in a, in, a, in a very personal way, and I've shared this a little bit before, and this is part of this second story that I want to share with you guys. Um, one of my personal struggles over the years, and it's a place of brokenness for me, is a struggle with, with SSA, or, or that's the acronym for same-sex attraction. And uh, that's been a, a big intimacy wound for me, a big one. And a lot of selfishness comes out of that. And, and, for, and for many different reasons that I don't have time to get into today. A lot of it is rooted in fear. And it was very hard for me in my time in Taiwan. I struggled a lot. And that is actually putting it pretty generally. Um, I had some victorious seasons. But I'm going to tell you today, in all honesty, church, I had a lot of failing seasons. It was, it was a really tough season in Taiwan. I lived in a place, so Taiwan's got about 23 billion people. Taipei is the capital city, and we lived, our coffee shop was in a, the district that has the highest LGBT population in the whole country, in some parts of Asia, actually. And I actually lived blocks from like, tw- yeah, oh, you're good. He told me that he could do this. There's Taiwan. Yeah, so... um. I lived blocks away from like 20 gay bars. It was like this little conglomerate of all these. It was tough, you guys. I had to walk by it every day. Um, and I, and I, yeah, I didn't deal with it well. And, and that's part of the reason why I'm back right now. Um, it wasn't actually almost 40. It, it's actually been a little over three years. And I, I, I realized, hey, it's time for me to get out of here and get some, some breathing room and some healing and some restoration. And I do not say that again to put myself up on a pedestal. I wish I was still in Taiwan. Um, I'm not technically supposed to be done until next summer. But I got a hold of my leadership and I said, I got, I, 
I got to get out of here for a little while. I need to rest. I need to heal. I need to come at this from a different angle because right now I'm sinking. And so that's my, on- I'll just be honest with you guys this morning. That's where I'm at. Um, the good thing about this is God doesn't ever give up on us. And I'm learning that right now. I have been so amazingly blessed since I've been back. Um, with just crazy, like I can't even believe, you know how when you do something wrong or you go through a season where you know that you've made a lot of mistakes and you expect the ax to drop? Um, It's just the opposite. Like God has been, man, it's crazy how he's been blessing me right now. Um, And I wanna share, this is the end of this second story. Ooh, and then I gotta go fast on the last one. Um, I talked with a pastor that lives in New York City. New York City, just kidding. I talked to the pastor that lives in New York City. He's about my same age, and he also struggles with SSA, and he's a pastor there. And I said, dude, be honest with me. Like, I just talked to him like two weeks ago. How do you do it? Like, this is a hard struggle, and there's a lot of loneliness, and, and because, I, oh, sorry, I should probably say this. Theologically, my stance on this is biblical. The biblical, traditional understanding of who we are as created beings and how God says, you gotta love me first, and you gotta love other people, and when it comes to intimate relationships with a spouse, it's a man and a woman. Okay, so if you want to talk about that later, we can, but that's my theology from a person that struggles with this struggle, okay? So before you make your snap judgments, come talk to me about it, because I've, believe me, I've done my homework, and I believe strongly that that's the way that God is calling us to live. It's not easy, but just like that verse, that, like that, the end of that song said, I love that song, um, pick up your cross and, and tell people about the treasure that you found. That's the reality, guys. We gotta quit sugarcoating this. It, it, this life is not easy. And, and Jesus never said it was gonna be. And we've got crosses to bear. And that's just part of the life that we live when we're in this sinful world. But it's because of God's goodness that we don't have, this is an eternity for us. This isn't the best that it's gonna be. And so we, we really gotta continue to stand firm against the world's, what the world is saying in you don't need to struggle, you don't need to go through those things. That's what refines us. And I'm learning that, it's hard, it stinks. But I'm learning that. And this pastor, I was talking with him on the phone and he said, you know what, it, it really comes down to this, I really had to find my purpose. I had to ask God, what is, what is my purpose, God? What is your purpose for my life? And the great thing about that is, is that when Satan comes back and tries to tempt me and tell me that I don't have this and I need this and I da da da, I just go back to him and say, no, my God gave me a purpose and here it is. And I'm gonna walk in it. <clears throat> yeah, I was clapping for him too. <laughs> I was like, hey, that's a good, yeah. I gotta find my purpose now um, because he's right. And that was such an encouragement to me to hear that. That's something that I needed to hear because I was really wandering, really trying to figure out what my purpose was. And there's a difference between your purpose and trying to, to earn and plead, you know, and it's, I'm a people pleaser and that's like the unhealthy way to live out your purpose. I gotta know what my purpose is and I gotta go towards that and trust that God has that for me. Um, so he, he told me that, wow, that was good. That really, it, it was really an encouragement to me. The third story that I wanna share with you guys is about sacrifice. Um, when I was in Taiwan, I made a lot of sacrifices uh, and one of them was my time. Um, you know, you, just because you go over to Taiwan doesn't mean you have a mountain of available time all of a sudden because I'm a missionary. Like, there's a lot of things. I still have to go to the grocery store. I still have to, you know, wash my clothes and pay my bills and all that stuff, clean my house. Um, and so there's times where I want breaks, right? So this one time I'm at this coffee shop doing my language exchange with this random 
Taiwanese guy that I met. And as I'm leaving, these two Taiwanese guys are like deadlock on me the whole time and, uh, as I leave. And I was like, that feels weird. So I stopped and asked them if I knew who they were. Long story short, I did not know who they were, but they were asking if I could, sp if I could speak English and I wanted to do language exchange. Turns out that they were Christians and I got to know them well. And the younger of the two, I actually started discipling, mentoring. Um, and his name is Yao Xian. Um, but the, the English name that he chose was Zion, so it, that's maybe a little easier to remember. Um, I like to call him by his Chinese name, but uh, anyway, he and I started doing discipleship together, and, uh, and man, I don't know if anybody's ever mentored or anything before. It is, it is a sacrifice. I mean, you do have to put the time into that, and you do have to listen. You can't, you can't tune out after 30 seconds, um, but wow, are the blessings, there are blessings in that. Not that you do it for the blessing, but like when you sacrifice your time and your commitment to walking with this person through discipleship, the, the blessings that come out of that are huge, okay? Not, and, and I'll tell you a few of them. One in particular is this kid just like blows my socks off every time we meet because he's like this young Taiwanese guy. His parents are not Christians. No one in his family are Christians. He's only a baby Christian. He's only been a Christian for two years. He became a Christian in college. The, his story is awesome, and every time I talk with him, I'm blown away by the spiritual insights that he has. It's kind of fun, too, with a new Christian, because, like, the Holy Spirit's so there, and, like, they're just soaking it all in. So if you haven't done that before, I'd highly recommend it. There's some other cool things that come out of this mentoring story. I want to show you a picture. So uh, Yao Xian is the guy, sorry, this is a Facebook picture, so it's a little pixely. Yao Xian is the guy in the white shirt. That's the guy that I'm mentoring. And uh, he came to me about six months ago and he said, hey, do you want to be a part of an acapella group with me and some of my Taiwanese buddies? And I was like, what? Is that even a thing? Like, I thought that was just like a pitch perfect, like a Hollywood, like that's real? And he was like, yeah, like we do it and we're, we're kind of into it. And I'm like, yeah, sure, okay. So I figured we'd just like hang out in my apartment, which is where we are, that's in my apartment, was my apartment, and just sing acapella together. Um, well, we're doing that, and so just, just to tell you who these guys are, so there's me up in the upper left hand, and then right next to me, um, his name is Martin. He's actually from Hong Kong, and then my buddy Yao Xian, or Zion. Justin is the one to the, up closest to the far right, and then Anno is the guy doing, giving one of these. Um, so Martin and Anno are not believers, but Justin is and Yao Xian is. Um, and so it's, it's, yeah, it's been really fun uh, singing an acapella with them, right? Well, then one day they come to my house and they're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to compete. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, we're going to compete in a, in a national competition in Taiwan. I'm like, I didn't sign up for that. And so they're like, no, no we're going to do it. I'm like, okay, I guess. And so whatever, what do I have to lose, you know? Um, and so we go and we compete. And so it's not like a, so I thought like, okay, it's just going to be a simple thing. Who's seen... I don't know if I want to, like, who's seen Pitch Perfect? Well, it's not the best movie in the world, sorry. I'm going to really promote this movie. But um, it's about acapella singing, okay? It's somewhere between Pitch Perfect and, like, uh, a, I don't know, like a choir at a college maybe, right? So it's kind of legit. So I go here and my kind of legit goes straight to Pitch Perfect. Like these people are like dressed up nice and they've got these dances and all this stuff, right? And I'm like, we are never going to win. And so we, we go and we, and we perform or whatever, you know, we sing one song in English, one song in Chinese. We won. We won the national competition. First place. Okay. Yeah, it was really cool. We were like, what? So it was really cool. 
what's even better, so then we get done, I'm like, that was fun, you guys, and they were like, yeah, now we're going to compete in the national competition again, and if we win this one, we get to represent Taiwan in the world acapella competitions in Austria. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay, so um, it's just been, like, it's been so cool. The reason why I share that story is because both Martin and Anno are not believers, and I have had some really cool conversations with them. And so that, what, was, what started as a mentoring relationship with Yashin turned into another mission field, another opportunity for me to have relationships with these guys. Martin and I have had some really cool conversations. Anno's English isn't great, and my Chinese isn't so good, so ours is like, Jesus loves you, and it doesn't really go too much further than that, because my Chinese is not that great. Um, but Martin's English is great, and he and I have had some amazing conversations, you guys. Please, if you remember today, pray for those two. Pray for Martin, because he's asking some cool questions. He's said some things to me like, yeah, I believe in God, but I don't really understand, and yes, I've prayed before, and I see a difference in you, and um, so please pray for him. This is a really cool opportunity um, that is still like right in my, you know, peripheral. Like he's right, he's right here. Um, and Tuesday, I go back to Taiwan for two weeks um, to compete with them for the, the national, to see if we get to go to Austria. I don't know if that's going to happen, but um, hey, if we do, it'd be cool. Uh, yeah, so this has been another really cool opportunity for me. Um, I wanted to share just another word on sacrifice. So if you'll go with me quickly to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verses 24 through 28. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Oops, just kidding. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he must deny himself, pick up, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. I'm actually just going to stop there. Um, I read this verse the other day, or God put this verse on my heart, and he, he, I was actually arguing with him because I was mad about the cross part, about picking up my cross. And he said, Jesse, you're, you're not actually reading this whole verse. It says, pick up your cross and follow me. And when you spend all your time standing there examining your cross and complaining about your cross and, and focusing on your cross, how, are you, how do you know where I am? How do you know where I'm going? How are you following me? You're not. You're just focusing on the cross. We do have a cross to bear. We all do. Um, everybody does. Sorry, once you sign up to be a Christian, that's part of it. Um, but, uh, but he also says, follow me. Like, that's, that's what we got to do, right? So, so it is a sacrifice. It is hard. It, I'm not going to lie to you today. Being a Christian is not an easy life. Um, it's a blessed life. It's a more fulfilling life. Um, but it's not an easy life. I want to give you a couple takeaways this morning. I know I'm a little bit over time, so I'll, I'll get through these quickly. Um, do you remember Psalm 139, 16? We read through the whole, one, the whole thing, but do you remember verse 16? Verse 16 says, it stuck out to me the other day. I was having some time with the Lord, and he said, read Psalm 139. And I know Psalm 139 well because I love it. But I love, he's, he's like, I want you to pay attention to verse 16, the, the, just that verse. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We all have a story to tell, and God's already written it. It's written. We've got a story, each one of us. And because you're all sitting here looking at me, your story's not over yet. It's still going, right? And there's something to that. You have a story to tell, so tell it. I've learned missions is far less about pro proselytizing on a street corner. That's not for me. 
Some people do that. That's not for me. But it's far less about that and far more about telling my story and just doing life with people. I'm doing life with those guys, and I'm getting much further, as far as I'm concerned, than I ever would if I stood on the street corner and condemned people, which is unfortunately what a lot of street corner proselytizing is. Um, and so, not, not that I'm against it. I think there's definitely a place for it, and people have been saved through a message that they heard walking down the street. Um, but that's not the way that God's designed me. That's not part of his purpose for me. Part of his purpose for me is do a relationship with people. And, uh, and I've seen some cool things happen out of that. Second thing I want to leave you guys with is um, tell his story. Because his story and our story, if we're believers, it intersects. Um, and don't forget to be a little bit funny. <laughs> I have one more story to tell. Um, and I want to start with this because I know that sometimes you listen to somebody speak and yeah, everything they say is all well and good, but how does that apply to me? I know that a lot of the pages of our stories of your story um, maybe has some tough stuff in it, past or even presently. Maybe it's stuff you're ashamed of. Maybe it's stuff you're worried about. Maybe it's things that, maybe that, that shame and that anxiety have made way for anger or anxiety or addiction or bitterness or despair or FOMO, the fear of missing out on something. My question is, is your story or rather God's story of your life over? It's not over. Just like I was just saying, it's not over. Just because something bad happened or is happening, are you still breathing? Yes. So your story's not over. There's still something that God wants to tell through your story. And so we got to engage with that. Here's my last story, and it actually has to do with these pictures on the wall. I don't know if you guys ever pay attention to these pictures on the wall. I love these pictures on the wall. Somebody told me once, they're behind us, by the way, sorry. Somebody told me once who, who made these, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of that person, um, but whoever you are, these are gorgeous pictures, and your artistry is amazing um, because they tell the best story. This is a love story. It's one that we know well. One of our best friend's stories, if you're a believer. His story is also about humility. He humbled himself. God, God coming to this earth to experience pain, heartache, loneliness, despair, temptation, all these things that we face as humans. Why would he do that? He, remember how people always say, like, when we die, we'll go to heaven and we won't want to come back here? Like, everybody's sad and they're like, but they're in heaven. They don't want to come back. I believe that. So think about this. Our God left that for this. Like he was in heaven already and he came down here to experience all of that. He's experienced all of that and that's a picture of it. He's experienced every, he knows the pain that we're going through. I don't know if, if, if Jesus ever had temptation of SSA. I don't know that. But I know that he struggled with temptation of loneliness and to, and to capitalize on the loneliness and to, and to feed the loneliness in unhealthy and sinful ways. He experienced all of that, and that's part of our human experience. And he did that out of a place of deep, intimate love. That's a picture of deep, intimate love. Because it's sacrificial too, right? You don't leave paradise to come down to this, right? And this is the best some people get to experience, which is sad. But it's, it's tough. And he knew, he knew that the sacrifice would mean that he would be helping, saving those around of him that were helpless, that couldn't help themselves. We can't help ourselves. Again, turn on the news. 
You can see it. We cannot help ourselves. We are in a pickle as a society right now because we are trying desperately to help ourselves and we can't do it. And that's how we do it. And his story didn't end in defeat though. It ended in victory, right? And that's that picture. The transaction of death for life was made on that day. So I want to say this to some people as I close. Nothing, please listen, I don't have a funny joke. Oh, you told me a funny joke earlier, I should say it now. Um, Listen, okay, this isn't funny, but really listen in right now if you haven't listened to anything else. Nothing that you've done or that you're doing can void that transaction. I'm going to say that one more time. Nothing that you've done, everybody in this room, nothing that you've done, nothing that I've done or are doing will ever void that transaction. So if you're hearing that lie today, you better call it out for what it is because it's a lie. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save. We have got an opportunity to live freely. So what's next? What's next for you? That's not for me to answer. That's for you to seek out with our healer, our sanctifier, our savior, and our coming king. Um, I want to ask something today. Maybe we don't have time for this, so if, that, if we don't, that's okay. Um, but this is on my heart. Um, I, I actually asked if we would sing that song, Come to the Altar, because I don't know if you guys have heard that. It was beautiful this morning. Thank you. There's a Shane and Shane version of it that I, that I listen to that I love. If you don't know who Shane and Shane are, look, go get their CD, because they're great. Um, but they sing that song as well, and it's a powerful, powerful song. So um, I just want to encourage you, I, I, if we, do we, can the worship team come up and play that song? I'm okay with a shorter prayer for me, if that's all right. Okay. Um, could the worship team come up? And I just want to, I just want to, I just want to be real with you guys. I know what it feels like because I'm going to do, I want to do one of those altar calls. Come to the altar. This is technically the altar up here. And that song says come to the altar. And I know what it feels like to be sitting out there and to be hearing the 3,700 lies that the enemy's telling you about why you shouldn't come to the altar. But the reality is if there was a cure for cancer up here and you had it, would you sit back and listen to all the reasons for why you shouldn't come up and get it? Would you think, oh, but the person next to me doesn't know that I have cancer? Chances are they probably do. And we all do, okay? It's called sin. So stop believing the lie that this is not a place that you should come to or that you're welcome to. Just forget about the people around you. They're not, gonna, they're not living your life, and they're not going to be there on Judgment Day either. This is between you and the Lord, and what I would love to see is come up here and spend some time with the Lord. I've been spending time with the Lord the past six weeks, and almost at least two or three times a week, I'm losing it. Thankfully, I'm in, in an apartment by myself, so only the people outside think that something's wrong. Um, but... Uh, just, I can't stress enough, like, if you're in a place where there's brokenness that you're struggling with, or you don't know your purpose, or the pages of your story right now are pretty stained, like, that's what this good story is all about. And it's as simple as saying, God, I just want to meet with you and talk with you about it. I love the words of this song. It's not, I don't think it's based on, well, it's probably based on scripture, but a lot of times Shane and Shane actually sings psalms. See, cut the fat again. Um, But uh, anyway, this this song has great lyrics. So even if from your spot, you just listen to these lyrics and let these lyrics sink in and the truth that the Father's arms are open wide, that you can do a lot right here. There's a lot in that step of faith, as, as, a, as scary as it might be. 
I just really want to encourage us in the next few minutes, just come up here and deal with that stuff. I'm dealing with it now. Um, and, and yeah, just come up. It's okay. You don't have judgment for me. Know that I'm good with you. So come up here and I get it because I shared with you some of my junk. Um, so just, yeah, my encouragement is come up here. Forgiveness is here. Love is here. And the next chapter might be here. So come up here. Okay? A couple minutes. Get up here. Worship. Do whatever you need to do.